All the messages lately have revolved around the pandemic, and today is nothing different. The virus shows no signs of waning. At this pace, in four days, California is going to pass New York for active cases, and Florida soon is probably going to pass both of those states. This hasn't happened in over 100 years. And this virus is triggering anxiety, especially this week. It's coming to a head. And this COVID is not a Democrat or a Republican, no politics today. It attacks both of them equally the same. Today I want to look at how anxiety, when it's triggered, how different people handle it and how the Lord wants us to handle it when we're hit with anxiety. As you know, I'm not a big fan of public speaking. That's why it takes six pages, all here, to talk for 20 minutes. It's a privilege to do this, but it causes anxiety. I'm thankful that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. It's only him that allows me to do this. When I get the call, I pray early and pray often, always for a topic, and I pray for the words that the Lord would have me speak. I trust in him and have faith in him that that he will help me overcome the anxiety. He always does. Everyone has concerns today for the situation we're in. Whatever your concerns are, the Lord is at your side, and he will give you strength to get through it. As Randy said last week, there will be an after. Amen. In Psalms 145.18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, all who call on him in truth. At this time of social distancing, we only get to get close to... members in our own household. But praise God, he is always near. Another verse says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. That is so comforting in today's situation. We need to call on him often. We are not alone. He is with us. And the USA is on a razor's edge right now. Tempers are flaring This week, the Santa Clara County health official told the governor, do something, I'm frantic, as are many. It's an upside-down world. The right is wrong, and what's wrong is right in the eyes of many. People are wearing masks, which saves lives, and we're getting mocked for it. People who who are wearing masks and see people who are not They challenge them, and they get anxiety. And then the people getting challenged that don't wear masks, stress hits them, and they confront the people with the masks. And like everything else today, every incident is filmed with smartphones and posted on the Internet for millions to see. An elderly woman This week at a Florida Costco, you'll see Florida a lot, 
challenged a man for not wearing a mask. He began screaming, I feel threatened, back off. And the man charged the elderly woman. And a Costco employee intervened and came to the aid of the woman. And the man's employer saw this and he was fired the following day. Many are selfish. They say they have the right to to not wear a mask and they don't realize that they can make other people sick. As a teenager did this week who went to a party with no mask, came home, the whole family has it, and the father is dying. Some, some people in this church are working for companies who are laying off, forcing remaining workers to do more work. That causes anxiety. Some are raising children, homeschooling, and caring for aging and, and grandparents all at once. More stresses. Last month, a plane crashed in Karachi. The aviation minister said the pilots were talking about the virus the whole flight, and their families are concerned about the virus as well. They were so preoccupied that they forgot to put down the landing gear. The plane crashed, and 98 people were killed. In France... Masks are required on buses. Four men attempted to get on a bus, no masks on, and the bus driver said, sorry, it can't take you guys without wearing a mask. The men beat the driver so severely that he died the next day. This is the key verse for today. It's in Judges 2125, and people are living this verse out in the world today. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We remember King Saul did this. Samuel told him to do, wait here, don't do a thing till I get back. Uh, Saul didn't listen. He didn't wait for Samuel to get back. He did a few things he wasn't authorized to do. Samuel came. Saul got caught, and he paid a big price. Saul did what was right in his own eyes. A 30-year-old man also did right in his own eyes recently. He attended a party where the host was a known victim of the COVID. He wanted to see if it was real and if anyone could get infected. He died shortly thereafter. His last words to his nurse were, I made a mistake. I thought this was a hoax, but it isn't. Doing right in his own eyes. Another Florida caper. A man not wearing a mask pulled a gun out on a man who asked him, where's your mask? He did what he thought was right. And this one, this one is the topper. This is a sad one. This guy just completely snapped. A dairy in Michigan, 77-year-old man is in the dairy. The 43-year-old man comes in. The older man asks him, where's your mask? The clerk wouldn't serve the man because he didn't have a mask on. An argument ensued. The young man stabbed the 77-year-old man, fled, drove away. Police were notified. 
A deputy stopped the vehicle shortly thereafter. The young man came out with knives in one hand and a long screwdriver in the other, charged toward the deputy who was repeatedly told him, drop your weapons. The suspect ignored the commands, and the deputy had to use deadly force to stop the attack, all over wearing a mask. Unbelievable. To me, this sounds like a precursor to the tribulation when there is going to be no restraint and everybody just is doing whatever they want. We see that today. And from a law enforcement background, this is a little bit like road rage. I think you're better off not even challenging people who are not wearing their mask. You don't know what they're going to respond with. The anxiety is peaking in this pandemic. Many don't want to do what they're told to do. They want to do what's right in their own eyes. So what do we do? What does the Lord want us to do with these situations? In Proverbs 12.5 of the NLT, it says, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. We must listen and do what the Lord says to us. Who might be the expert on this? It's probably David, who had more anxiety than nearly anyone we read about. Pursued by Saul, had to live in caves, on the run. In one psalm, he said, his bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So what has David said? In Psalm fifty-five twenty-two, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Amen to that. So don't panic. Cast everything on the Lord, and nothing is too big for him to handle. He gives us hope, comfort, and assurance. The daily headlines give us none of those. Someone said, The same Lord that bore our sins, our burden on the cross, Ask again to put our burdens on him and let him handle them because he cares for us so much. What a God we have. Remember Peter, he got hit with a wave of anxiety. It comes on you quick. After the arrest of Jesus at the campfire, the little girl said, you know, you're, you're with him, you know him. Peter said, I don't even know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. He then cursed and said again, I don't know the man. And Peter knew the Psalm 55 verse that said, cast your cares upon him, because shortly thereafter, Peter wrote it again in his epistle. But in this case, he did not follow Psalm 55. He lashed out and... Later, as we know, the Lord graciously restored him. Here's what Peter wrote later in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter spruced it up a little. He said all your anxiety, which wasn't mentioned in the psalm. That sometimes we cast our anxiety on him, yes, but sometimes we we think we have some expertise in certain areas, and we can do a a better job at handling those. We think we know better, but let's cast all our anxiety on him. 
And the same verse um, in the Amplified, to me, sums up the whole thing. It says, cast all your of your care, your anxieties, your worries, your concerns, once and for all on him, for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches you over you very carefully. And when we cast all this stuff on him and trust him with it, they are in no better hands. And it's not like casting a fishing pole, cast a line with the weight on it out there. That's casting, yes. But then we can reel the hook back in with the weight on it. We want to cast it out to the Lord and leave it out there. Sometimes we cast it out, we go to bed, we feel good, and the next morning we reel it in again and start worrying about the same thing all over again. And this verse, it doesn't allow carte blanche to misrepresent what it means by saying, God will protect me, I'm going to do you know whatever I want. We should follow the health precautions, the masking, the social distance, and the washing the hands. And we should not get overwhelmed with cares or concerns because that can consume us. Sherry says on this verse, I I trust in the Lord. I know he cares for us, but I'm not going to let my kids play on the freeway thinking the Lord is going to protect them. We have to use common sense and follow follow guidelines and not just do. We hear many people saying, this is my right to do and nobody's telling me what to do. A lot of the commentaries you read and some of the podcasts you hear saying it's okay to use the word concern. Concern is okay. Yeah, we all have concerns, but concerns overloaded can turn to worries. And this is what Bill McDonald says about worry. It's unnecessary. There is no need for us to bear the burdens when he is willing and able to bear them for us. Worry is futile. It hasn't solved a thing. Worry is a sin. A preacher once said, Worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he is doing. It denies the love of God. It says he doesn't care, and it denies the power of God. It says that he isn't able to deliver me for whatever is causing me to worry. Well said. So have trust in him, faith in him, turn it all over, and leave it with him. So we're going to look at a few people. Elijah first, to see how he handled some anxiety. They're, they're in First Kings, if you want to read them, I'm going to try to go through pretty quick. They're fairly long. This is number one. In the midst of a drought, the Lord sends Elijah to hide in the Kareth Ravine. He said, you're going to drink from the brook. I'm going to send the ravens to supply you with all the food you need. He did it, and he was there for a long time. The birds came, give him this and that, and he drank from the brook. So that's the first miracle. Elijah obeyed, no worries, no questions, number one. Shortly thereafter, the brook dried up. The Lord says, go to Zarephath. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. 
No questions by Elijah. He did that. He saw a widow gathering sticks. He asked her, bring me a little water so I can have a drink and some bread, please. The widow said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a little jar with olive oil in it. I'm gathering sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Pretty bleak. Elijah said, don't be afraid, go home and do it. But first make me a little small loaf and then make something for yourself and your son. She did it. The Lord said, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She did the instructions. So there was food every day for the Elijah, the woman and her family, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. Again, Elijah did exactly how he was told. That's the second one. Number three, later the woman's son became extremely ill and stopped breathing. She told Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? He said, give me your son. He took him, he laid him on his bed he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with, causing her to die, her son to die? He stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah, the boy's life returned, and he lived. Elijah gave the boy to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. She said, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord comes from your mouth is the truth. Third miracle, fully trusting in the Lord. All three of these were in front of a small audience. We don't know how many people heard about these miracles. A couple of them were, were just in a little family. But now Elijah goes on the big stage. Let's see how he, how he holds up here. Via the Lord, Elijah told Ahab, Bring all the people and 450 prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. They did. Elijah asked them, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He says, get two bulls, cut up one, put it on the wood. Don't set fire to it. The prophets did that. You call on your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So they, you know the story. They called on Baal morning to night, uh, did everything under the sun, chanting, cutting themselves up, uh, dancing, all kinds of things. Elijah was so, um, had so much faith that he even taunted him, you know, telling him, do it louder, talk louder. He's probably sleeping. So nothing happened, no response. So Elijah fixes his altar, the firewood, the sacrifice, and he tells him, Soak this thing with three huge jars of water, which they did. Elijah prayed, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God. Just then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the water, 
the, the altar, the whole thing was just disintegrated. And when the people said this, all those prophets, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. Fourth miracle in front of a huge audience. Elijah didn't waver and he obeyed fully. So he is on a complete roll. What can go wrong? If you can do this with the Lord, nothing's going to stop him. That's not what happened. Probably the very next day, in 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. So here's a threat from this woman. Did Elijah cast his cares on the Lord? Nope. Did he pray? Nope. The anxiety that he just got from that jolt completely overcame him. And this is the danger we have when we have a victory or we follow the Lord completely. All that does is anger Satan. So when we have a victory, we got to be extra on guard and things can change. Satan's going to redouble his efforts to discourage us, which is what he did in this situation. Somebody said, mountaintops of spiritual victories are often followed by valleys of testing. So here is Elijah's valley of testing. He's failed it so far. So what did he do? He ran for his life. He went into the wilderness. He quickly forgot all the Lord had done through these miracles, just happened the day before, and acted in fear rather than faith. This woman, Jezebel, the threat scared him. He didn't cast his anxiety on the Lord. He overestimated the strength of the enemy and underestimated the strength of God. He goes under a tree. He prays that he might die. He throws in the towel. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. And he takes a nap. He is always faithful, but we are not. Elijah was not faithful in this, this instance. So after his nap, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the angel of the Lord came and nourished Elijah and restored him. When one of God's people falls and fails, it's our job as his brothers and sisters to lift him up and encourage him and restore him. And that's why in this pandemic, it's it's hard because we're so separated. Some people are alone. They're not getting as much fellowship as others. So we should reach out to people who are alone and missing out on some fellowship and encourage them. And if anybody falls, let's try to try to lift them up together, him or her. And then Elijah is restored. He obeys. The Lord gives him another mission. And in Second Kings 2.11, we find as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind.
He was walking with Elisha. So despite his failure and fall with Jezebel, the Lord restored him with the angel of the Lord. He served again. And what happened to Jezebel's threat? It was like a 24-hour threat. Of course, that passed. The Lord protected him from that. We never even heard about Jezebel again until she later died. And no harm came to Elijah. He, he became one of only two people who were taken to heaven while they were still living, the other being Enoch. In Proverbs 24:16, it says, For though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. Amen. And the final person we're going to look at today to see how he handled his anxiety is in Luke chapter 7, verses 2 through 7 and 9 to 10. Then there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued so highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Of course they did. So what did the centurion do? Did he have a backup plan? Did he have, did he hedge? Did he have a doctor in the waiting? No. He cast his cares on Jesus, left him there. He was all in. Sure, he was concerned, but he had extreme faith. And so much that even Jesus said, more than anyone else in Israel, Jesus said, more than anyone Jesus had encountered. And we don't hear him worry when he was going through this. Centurion didn't say, I'm worried. He and his servant were blessed. The Lord was faithful let us be like this centurion. And this is exam- and a good example for us today. And you know, in uh, Genesis, Hagar, Hagar said to the Lord, you are the God who sees me. So we know he is the God who sees. So what is he seeing today when he looks at us? Is he seeing us doing what we think is right in our eyes? Or are we doing the things that are right in Jesus' eyes? Yes, you know, we, our eyes have tunnel vision. We only see this far. He sees the big picture. So we want to do what is right in the Lord's eyes. I like this song uh, of Ryan Stevenson's called Eye of the Storm. And it's, the chorus is perfect for what we're going through these days. It says... In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. 
You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we come to you today as a, a church, a family of God, and we are in the midst of this pandemic. At some stage, some say it's just at the early stages, Lord. We don't know when it's going to end, and may our lives and actions be pleasing to you, Lord, in your eyes. We just pray this morning that no more of our church, our family, our relatives, our um, extended families, no more get this sickness, Lord. We pray for uh, all of our men in the uh, workforce and men and women that they hang on to their jobs, Lord. We pray for our healthcare uh, professionals, deep sea, and uh, others. I can't forget every, every, remember everybody right name right now. We pray that they're not uh, infected. I pray for my nephew, Matthew, who is running a rig, a pan, para, paramedic rig, and he's transporting COVID patients. We just pray that you just watch, uh, watch over all of us, Lord. And Dr. Jean is the other one. Um, we pray for her protection as well. And, and we just ask all this in your name. Amen.